It's my pleasure now to introduce this morning's speaker, a person that when you're in his presence, you always feel that something wonderful truly is happening and that that magic is within you. Will you welcome our very own spiritual director, mentor, and inspirer, Reverend Patrick Cameron. Oh, how lovely. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Anybody here for the first time? All right. Awesome. Nice to have you here. We won't embarrass you any more than that. <laughs> Next week, if you're back, well, then we'll really embarrass you. Watch what I do now to the people who were here last week. Now, welcome. Welcome. Um, our, our founder... Dr. Holmes is back there, and he founded our, he put our tradition together, and he was a genius, and I've been working out of his book, The Art of, it's called The Art of Life now, but if you have it at home, if you bought it a few years back, it would be called, uh, This Thing Called Life. And every time I read his stuff, I'm just always so appreciative of his genius, his courage, at the time when he came along, and so the reason I'm setting this up, we're going to do a prayer in a moment, we're going to sing a song and do a prayer. I'm going to read a prayer from Dr. Holmes this morning as our prayer. And what he says at the beginning of this, this is on page 10 of The Art of Life, and, and I know we have some ordered for the bookstore. It's not a, don't worry, you can just ponder it before it shows up. But it's a wonderful little companion book. And, and, and every time I read five pages, I wanted to use it for this, these couple of cl- uh, talks the last couple of weeks. Every time I read five pages, I go, that's enough stuff. I got enough stuff. This is cool. Because it's such a beautiful, beautiful book. But what he says is that someday when you're confused, try this simple experiment. Sit down and say, and, and that, that's the prayer that he has after that. So I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to stand or stay seated, it's fine. We're going to sing a song. Standing is optional. <clears throat> it's called In This Very Room. In this very room. There's quite enough love for all the world. Beautiful. In this this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so I invite you to know this song is a prayer. And as we enter into this, the energy, the vibration of the Most High we call forth through our hearts, through our being. And may we be that conduit of divine grace this day. And so in the words of Dr. Ernest Holmes, let us know this together. The peace of God is at the center of my being. I am the consciousness of this peace. I enter into this peace. I am surrounded by this peace. This peace moves out from me in all directions. It calms the troubled waters of my experience. It heals everything it contacts. There is nothing but peace. I rejoice in this peace. I permit this peace to enter my soul, to fill me with calm, to inspire me with confidence. I know that this peace goes before me and makes perfect, plain, and straight my way. 
And so we bless this prayer. We bless the printed word that is the gift to us this day of this man's genius. As we invoke this prayer, I know his consciousness is here with us. The Christ consciousness is called forth for us and through us and as us if we're open and available to that. And so may each and every one of us this day step one step closer to living in that more consistently so that our path is straight and our life is a reflection of the divine essence that we are in each moment, wherever we are. Nothing to fear. Nothing to hold on to. Let us call forth the new dream for ourselves, moment by moment, day by day, building a beautiful and powerful and wonderful life that is a blessing to all. For this I give thanks, and I invite you to say with me, as we know it is already done in the mind of the one, and so it is. Beautiful. Please be seated. See, I think we get you singing before. You guys really sing that in this very room. I can stop singing that now. It's wonderful. No, 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 no. I love that. I love it. Love the energy. You know, music is so important. So I wanted to, I'm going to invite Shelby and Kevin up in the booth. I have a video I want to share with you. This is a young boy. Maybe you've seen it on YouTube. But it's a perfect setup for what I want to talk to you about. And it's a young boy playing the ukulele and singing a song. <clears throat> We're going to be offering ukulele lessons here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. The reason that I, uh, Norm McLeod sent me that this week, and the first time I saw it, I just roared with the, you know, just the, the, the beauty of it. What he's, actually, that's I'm Yours by Jason Mraz, and I sang a Jason Mraz song at the, the Windspear, and I, I love his lyrics. He's just a, a genius. But a bit of what he was trying to sing, but he doesn't know the words, obviously, but he's still playing. Is well, you done done me. You bet I felt it. I tried to be chilled, but you're so hot I melted. I fell right through the cracks. Now I'm trying to get back. Before the cool done run out, I'll be giving it my bestest. And nothing's going to stop me but divine intervention. I reckon it's again my turn to win some or, or learn some. So anyway, and it goes on and on. It's uh, it, many verses. But uh, obviously he didn't have the words down. <clears throat> and, and I love his facial expressions because he's just totally into it. 
And the, and the reason that I thought it was such a nice fit for this week is um, one, of our, our, uh, one of my great mentors in my life passed away this week. And we all need mentors. We all need people that have gone before us. So what I know about this little boy, I don't even know his name, but someone showed this little guy how to play the ukulele. And, and they've exposed him to music. And he's getting his 10,000 hours in because that's what, as Malcolm Gladwell says, you need to become uh, a proficient in a, and to master any proficiency. So he's getting his 10,000 hours in. And uh, Norm said, maybe we could hire him as our new music director. I said, well, I'll call his parents and find out if he's available. But in, uh, Dr., Dr. David Walker made his transition this week. And Dr. David had been one of our, our presidents. When I became a minister, he was a president. And uh, I don't know if you had the opportunity, the name may not mean anything to you, but it means a great deal to me. He was the person that installed me at my first church. He also was the person that presided at my ordination. And when you're, when you're new to ministry, when I had the three people that I started with, um, and, I, and, I, and I, it was a journey for me to grow uh, my consciousness. And, and, and by consciousness, I mean attitude and awareness and what provided the greatest value for the community. My goal with ministry is always may I address the, the heartfelt need, the greatest heartfelt need of the community. And that was always a, a mantra and it continues to be a mantra. And I'll never forget, uh, I had spent years and I was into my ministry for a long well, a number of years, probably three or four years, and I completed a labyrinth. We have a labyrinth on our floor here, which is one of my, is near and dear to me. But I had completed a beautiful tile labyrinth, a stone labyrinth. It's still there. The church has been... Uh, uh, Purchased, so we no longer own it as an organization, but it's still there. And when Laura, when Laura and I are uh, in the area, we'll drive by to see how the labyrinth's doing because it's beautiful. It's outside Southern California; you can walk it most of the year. So I had built this labyrinth, and I th- I wanted to collaborate with the other ministers because there's a lot of science of mind churches in Southern California, and so I put the word out that if anybody'd like to come and watch it, uh, walk the labyrinth, it's o- available and open. And one of my one of my peers uh, was actually doing a, a class and an experience on a labyrinth and very close by, but didn't call, didn't extended the offer, didn't hear anything from them, and they went and they participated with another labyrinth somewhere else. And so I took this very personally. I felt really, I was very disappointed. I was very attached to this idea. And so I was on the phone with Dr. Walker one day and I was telling him how I felt. And he said to me, what do you care? What do you care what they're doing over there? Huh? Which was a really wonderful slap to the face for me. What do I care what they're doing over there? And I never forget, got that lesson as long as I lived. I had these expectations. I was going to invite everyone and, you know, I was going to be the labyrinth maven. And he just simply said, what do you care? They're going to do what they want to do over there. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful uh, insight into my attachment to it. And I realized that I had, all this, I had all these expectations around Labyrinth, and I had to give it up. He came out. Another thing that Dr. Walker did for me is he came out to the... And, and those little moments, those teachable moments when those things happen, uh, as a result of that, I looked around the community. One of the things that, that, that uh, Dr. Holmes talks about today, and I brought a little bit of Carolyn Mace with me today too, is that because they're both saying the same thing, and it's interesting to watch. Every time I read a contemporary author... I can always find a place where Dr. Holmes wrote it. And I'm not trying to do that, but I'll, it's just very interesting, the synchronicity of it. And so part of that is the contemplation. What was alive for me there? Why, why was I disappointed? Because he's right. What did it have to do with being over there? And, I, and it, it allowed me to detach. Because somebody that, I, that was ahead of me on the path, that I respected their wisdom, he was a wonderful, wonderful teacher. 
clear, clear as a bell. He came out for my ordination. Now, our organization does not ordain ministers when they graduate. We usually wait three. If you're a staff minister, it takes up to seven years. But it depends on consciousness. And ordination is the marriage to ministry. And so we don't do it right away because we don't want a bunch of ordained ministers running around that are no longer doing ministry. It's, it's, a, unique, it's a unique calling. And he came out for my ordination, and we were in my office, and he said, you know, I had the, the group up to about 45, 50 people at the time. He said, you know, hardest thing in the world is to grow a church this size. The thing that makes it successful is the thing that will keep it small. And I said, well, I'd like to know more, and I wish you'd said that four and a half, five years ago when I first showed up. But I wasn't probably ready to hear it. But what it was, what he was telling me is that when you have a group that size, most people want to keep it that size. They don't want it to grow. One of the guys, after the wind spirit, one of the people came up to me right afterwards and said, love the day. I don't know if you were there or not, but it was a wonderful day for us, a wonderful day to be in the same room at the same time and feel the consciousness, feel the energy and the music. And the, it was just an incredible day. But someone came up to me immediately and said, really liked it, it was great, but way too many people, way too big for me. And I've heard it before. And so with that, because you don't, I'm going to tell you, with, with, with any job, if you have any job where you're interacting with people, you're never going to please them all. But I've heard that before, and we've heard it. When I went to two services here, when I decided we were going to do two services, there was a bit of fear around it. There was a bit of fear around it because they wouldn't see our friends. And, and great arguments, great arguments. Let's keep it the size it is. So what happened in Fillmore was, I was uh, doing, we were doing potlucks, okay? And if you showed up and wanted to join our community, we had about 45 people, you got to go on the potluck list. And on that potluck list, you committed to feeding every 45 people in a rotation, and they said, we're scaring people because a lot of people don't want to come and be the chef. They don't want to come and feed people. They're here to receive something. And so I had a knockdown, drag out argument in the middle of the social hall one day with a lady that was married to potluck. And I said, we're not doing any more potlucks. Have you ever seen a potluck announced here? Uh, but we, you can do them, you can do them, uh, and you can do them well. But to make it the activity of the group... Um, I don't think is a healthy, I don't think it's a good extension of the energy, so I've never promoted it much. Carolyn Mace says this about the soul. She said, there are four passions of the soul. When you start to connect spiritually with the soul, there's joy, there's grief, there's hope, and there's fear. Joy, grief, hope, and fear. Those are the four passions of the soul. And I'm reading this book called Entering the Castle, and I'm using a lot of the material on Wednesday nights because I love it. And it dovetails so beautifully into Ernest Holmes' things in this, this thing called life. But what you realize is that if... So we, we went to the Windspear and it was a lot of people. But I know that what I'm called to do many times will not keep people happy. And so the potluck argument I had with this woman had nothing really to do about potlucks. It was really about me taking a stand and just saying we're going in another direction. It was really difficult to do that, to make the choice, to say, you know what, this is not a big enough idea for what I think we're asked to do. So when, when the gentleman shared with me at the Windspear, it's too many people, I understand it. I understand it because there's a certain connection that we have when we're a certain size, whatever it may be. I mean, we have over 1,000. We have 1,150 people at the Windspear. I know we have over 1,000 active people involved in this community. I just wanted everybody to get in the same room at the same time. That was my goal. I didn't know it was going to be so wonderful. I didn't know that Anna was going to show up and sing like a bird and, and Sue was going to, and the band was going to be great. And I mean, I knew they would be good. I didn't know that it was going to be so wonderful. But, yeah, thank you. 
So Dr. Walker came out and he, he planted those seeds with me. And he said the thing, because what, what happens when you have a smaller group, they love the intimacy. And so it's really hard, that family, it's really hard to, to adopt others. And I realized, you know, we need to stop the potlucks. We need to stop any behavior. I told this to the teens when I came here. When I got here, the teens were, were, were uh, they were in a different consciousness. And there were a few of them that talked just like sailors. And I was getting calls from parents saying, you know, my, my, my teen went to the teen group and there's a lot of interesting language that's being used. And I went to the teens and I said, you know, I get it. I know all those words. I can use those words. They're, you know, they're, they're, I grew up on construction sites. I know all, the, all of that language. And they said, but what happens when our behavior doesn't make it welcoming for others, then we need to look at it. I'm not saying don't use those. Go do the, you know, if you want to cuss and swear, go do it somewhere else. Just don't do it here because it doesn't invite. It's not inviting. It's about behavior, and it's about the highest and the best. They don't have to stop. Just stop for a couple hours on a Sunday. And, I, and the argument I got was, well, we've always been able to do that. It's free expression. I said, you're free to express. Just pick your words better. But they didn't like that. Didn't like me. But see, I'm not here. I, I, I love all you guys. But I know that, that there's things I do you don't like. But what I realize is what I'm called to do and what everybody likes are two different things. So I have to continue to do the work and continue to, to flesh out what, what no longer serves us. And with the teens, it's another example. With the potlucks in Fillmore. So I look at the mentors that I've had in my life. As I was thinking about Dr. David this, this week, I thought about Dr. Tom Johnson. And Dr. Tom Johnson was a prolific writer in our movement. And Oprah actually has quoted one of his books called Action Does It. And when I was a young minister, Dr. Tom had a, had a cable TV show in the San Fernando Valley. If you've ever been to Southern California, there's... There's the Beverly Hills side, the L.A. side, and then there's the San Fernando Valley, which is this huge ma- uh, landmass that's just over the mountain range. And uh, Dr. Tom Johnson had a, a television show. And you could go on his television show. and he, what he, It was a wonderful training. And it would be five or six ministers. We'd all be in a circle. We'd all pay money to do it. It cost you money to do it. You weren't brought in and said, oh, here's, you know, here's $300 to do it. No, it cost everybody $35 to cover the cost. And then he would sit there and he would ask questions. And I loved it. I mean, you never knew the question. People always wanted the question beforehand so they could prepare. And he would just ask the question. Then you'd have to see how much you knew. And I loved it. And I went every week. Every week I could be there. I, I would take off work that afternoon, which cost money. I'd pay my 35 bucks, and I'd, I just loved doing it. Because it was just such a challenge, and it was a wonderful challenge. And one day, Dr. Tom said to me, I'll never forget this. You know those little gems people plant with you? When when I look around our community and I look at the activity we're involved with, I think back to what Dr. Walker said to me. Is this activity keeping you small? uh, Or is this allowing you to stretch out into the world in a bigger way? And Dr. uh, Tom Johnson, I'd gone there for several months. I was a regular pretty much. And, and, uh, you know, about a million people saw this tiny little uh, local access thing. I'd run into people at at shopping centers. They'd go, I love your television show. I'd say, thank you. It wasn't my television show, but I was on there every week. And Dr. Uh, Tom said to me when he looked at me, he said, because he was very, very, he, he considered himself a purist. And he was an absolutist. That was his thing. He was absolutist. So you really had to watch your language around him because he would bust you with the language if you, anything that suggested separation. And so um, he looked at me one day and he said, where did you find this beautiful consciousness? And I just thought, what a wonderful thing to say to somebody who's, 25 years behind you in this journey, but it was so validating. Where did you find this beautiful consciousness? And I thought about it for about three seconds, and I said, I think I was born with it. And he laughed. But we are born with it. 
But what happens is we nurture it. And it's the influences like this little boy on the ukulele. It's the influences in our lives that allow us to either thrive or not thrive. It allows us to... Joy, grief, hope, and fear are the four passions of the soul. Of these four, which do I dwell on the most? What do you dwell on the most? Joy, grief, hope, fear. When I look at it, and if you listen to conversations, if you listen to the people around you, you can hear what they're dwelling on and where they're pouring their energy. Not right or wrong, good or bad, but you can decide where you're going to dwell. You have this moment. This is the eternal moment. In this book, This Art of Life, if you want to understand what Ernest Holmes thought about this teacher, Jesus of Nazareth, it's throughout the book. You read it and you think, my gosh, are we Christian or not? But he interprets it in a way that is just so sweet and wonderful and empowering. Joy, grief, hope, and fear. When we start to encounter the soul, everything shifts. Carolyn Mace is the compliment to, he's talking about contemplation, the practice of contemplation. The, contem, the compliment to self-examination nourishes your soul. It stimulates the relationship with the divine. Silence is the friend who never betrays, said Confucius. Silence is the one and only voice of God, wrote Melville. All religious traditions have a history of seeking silence as a path to God, the light and the way. Silence is an invitation to the divine to come forward to reveal itself to you. Contemplation is the discipline, she continues, of piercing through the ego's self-centeredness and impatience. It may include enduring the boredom, because we don't want to be bored in spiritual practice. It may endure, sometimes for years of waiting for God to show up. Isn't that interesting? Contemplation is like falling into your soul and taking and, and, and away from the world. Buddha speaks about the world being illusion, which you can understand mentally, but detaching from your illusions is where the work comes in. Detaching from the idea, they didn't call me and they didn't want to use my labyrinth. Those bastards. Namaste. <laughs> Namaste. I love you. I see the God, face of God in you, you bastard. <laughs> that was my story. I make, I make stuff up all the time. The thing that I do now is I own it. I look at the stories I'm making up and I own it. And then I get to go home and say, is this story working for me? You know, do I want to live from fear? Well, what does fear look like in our world? Why do we do the thing? What motivates us out of fear? There's all kinds of behaviors we do. So did you see the Edmonton Journal this week? Uh, it was yesterday. Probably didn't because it was in the religious section, and I know none of us would read that. <laughs> but it says, walk the talk by giving it all away. So Sunday, this is the day. I announced it at the Wind Spear. I know there was a bit of confusion. This is the day that everything we, that we take in, we give away, 100%. Now, we give away 10% every week. We're a tithing organization. But this week, we're giving everything away. So whatever you put into this basket this day, it's going out into the world. And we, we ask for your suggestions. One is Windhouse, one is um, um, this Youth Emergency Shelter, and one is Greg Mortensen's, Mortensen's Building Schools in uh, Afghanistan. Anyway, there's an article there. If you didn't see it, we'll make up copies and put them on the back desk. So it's walking the talk by giving it all away. The Center for Spiritual Living Edmonton is giving it all away. The largest New Thought spiritual organization in Canada will, will direct 100% of the Sunday offering from the 10 and 11.30 a.m. services to three organizations. Recipients are Windhouse, the Edmonton Home uh, Women's Emergency Shelter, and the Edmonton Youth Emergency Shelter, and the Central Asian Institute of Greg Mortensen. Three cups of tea. This gift reflects the center's belief and teaching of the spiritual principles that the universe is abundant. It also reflects our acknowledgement of the law of circulation. And so it goes on and on. It's a beautiful article written by one of my favorite authors, my bride. Thank you, honey. 
Well, it is about walking our talk. It is about showing up in the world and not just saying, I see the face of God and everything. It's really about put, taking a stand in the community and letting people know who we are and what we stand for. And we're serious about this. And what I know in all this work that I'm doing around the soul and the, entering the castle, which is another word for the soul with Carolyn Mace, is as we enter into our spiritual practice, as we start to embody more and more of it, what happens is it just cracks you open and you want to serve in every way it can. And it creates such a sense of generosity and longing to serve and to share that, that, uh, and compassion continues to open up and open up and open up. And so I know that that has brought me to this point in sharing and, and helping guide and lead us to this. But I think it's a powerful, powerful thing we do. Dr. Holmes, Dr. Holmes had uh, a wonderful thing to say. He said, one of the hardest things for us to do is, to, is Carolyn Mace says, one of the hardest things for us to do is to wait for God in our lives. Because we're a proactive teaching. You know, and we need mentors in our lives. We have, we have class sign-ups back there this week. The classes are such a powerful way to stay connected and grounded to spiritual practice. To be around like-minded people that have the same longing and the same calling. And to be in that mix and to be in community. The classes are so powerful and wonderful. If you haven't signed up and you're thinking about it, I know the weather's getting better. Your consciousness can wait till the fall if you want to hold off on it. But Why wait? Why not immerse yourself in this teaching? And it's the exposure to these ideas because in that class, the gifts, you'll hear, you'll hear your story coming and going. There's a collective consciousness. The classes are so powerful and wonderful. So if you're thinking about it, sign up because today we need to know how many and then we're going to adjust our classes based on participation. But whatever you decide to do, but it's one way that we can be immersed in this consciousness. And to continue to share these words, we need to be reminded. We need to have the people in our lives that help us play the ukulele before we learn the words. We need to have these things available to us. And that's part of what we're doing here. We know that there, we believe in a world that works for everyone. We, we watch people struggle in the fear, the despair, to move and shift ourselves to that, that passion of the soul, to joy. And the hopefulness of expectation that greater good is waiting for us. So I hope, I hope that you listen to that and listen to the call of your soul because we can continue to live in fear. We can continue to live in lack and limitation. But I know in my heart of hearts that what I'm called to do that, and, and what I'm invited to share, and I thank you so much for your continued growth, your continued stepping in where you can. Let's practice the silence this week. Let's, wait on, let's be okay waiting on God. Let's just be okay setting the intention and understanding something great and powerful and wonderful is happening for us. And, and, and many times, if not all the time, we don't really know what it is, but we're, if we long for the good and we're open to the possibility, it's enough. We don't have to get, achieve perfection in any of it. It's just practice. So let's keep practicing. Let's keep doing what we're doing. Let's give generously, not only here today, but in every area of our lives because it's, it allows us to be connected to that language of the soul, which is compassion, it's generosity, it's sharing in a way, sharing our good and setting the declaration that everything we do creates greater good in the world. And that is our prayer. And so it is. Thank you.